This week's Sicha on Parshas Nitzavim, the Rebbe dissects a Rashi, and in doing so brings out some very uh, deep philosophical ideas. Um, and it's it's based on a the pasuk which is the uh, very last uh, what the second to last verse in the parsha the second to last pasuk in the parsha which is um, Perak Lama chapter thirty verse nineteen um, where the the verse says Hachayim v'hamavus nasatilach life and death I have put before you and then Hashem says uvacharta b'chayim you should choose life so that you and your offspring shall live. And then the next Pasa continues, and this is uh, related to what we're going to be discussing, that you should, so it says you should choose life in order that you and your offspring should live. To love God, to listen to his voice, his voice, and to cleave to him. Because God is your life, and the length of your days. That's what it says. And Rashi then gives an elaborate explanation on this, on these two words, Uvacharta Bahaim, you shall choose life. And I and I focus on elaborate because that's unusual for Rashi. We know that Rashi wrote his commentary with golden ink, meaning that he was very particular to be very precise with the words that he uses, and he never gives an explanation unless there is an obvious question. All of this is going to be related to our wonder as to why Rashi spends so much time on this on these two words, Uvacharta Bahaim, choose life. Um, so Rashi says number three things. There are three points Rashi makes. He says number one, I am showing you to choose life. That when the verse says Uvarcharta Bachaim, you shall choose life. Rashi explains that God says I am showing you to choose life. Number two, Rashi brings an analogy that it's like a man who says to his son, choose for yourself a fine portion for my estate. And then the father directs his son to the very best portion. He takes him there. He sort of puts him on that finest part. And then he says to him, this is the portion which you should choose for yourself. So in the analogy, is an analogy of three things. Where a father tells his son, choose the finest portion. Then the father takes him to the finest portion. And then the, guy, and then the father says, this portion is what you should choose. And then Rashi concludes by saying that regarding this... The verse that King David wrote, um, it, it, it refers to when it says, The Lord, uh, Hashem, is my, my allotted portion of my cup. You, Hashem, guide my destiny. And then it says, You laid my hand upon the good portion, saying, Take this for yourself. That you, Hashem, put my hand on the good portion, saying, I should take it for myself. So, in other words, the analogy. And the lesson that we learn from the analogy, the analogies of a father and a son, and the lesson that we learn is the lesson of um, the ver- what, 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 what King David expresses, David HaMelech expresses in a, in a Pasuk in Tehillim, chapter 16, that you laid my hand upon the good lot, saying this you should take for yourself. So, so there, are, there are first, the, the obvious question that the Rebbe asks is, why is Rashi being so elaborate on the words choose your life? Choose life doesn't need much explanation. We all understand what that means. Um, um, so, so what is the what is the significance over here of, God, of Rashi giving such a long explanation? So, possibly it means that God's giving advice, um, and 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 his advice is you should choose life, and the way you do it is by loving God, as the next verse uh, continues saying. 
but it, 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 that would be the 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 the, um, the simple understanding. But simply, what Rashi is trying to enlighten us with over here is that the Torah is not giving us a command by saying you shall choose life as if it's a, it's a command. The Torah is not even giving us advice when it says Hashem's not giving us advice when he says Uvachar to should choose life. Why not? It wouldn't make sense to say that, in other words, to explain this simple explanation that, that Hashem is simply giving us advice. Because if a person does not know what life is, then you first need to explain to him and convince him of what life is. In other words, what is valuable? What, what, what is um, worthy of life? And if once a person knows that, they know to choose life. Right? If a person knows that, you don't have to explain to someone to choose life. And if the person is not convinced, that what the Torah is trying to emphasize to us is what life is, then the person won't choose it anyway, even if you instruct them to, because they don't appreciate it. So therefore, Rashi comes to say that the statement of the Pasuk, of Acharta Bachayim, that you should choose life, is Hashem is saying, I'm guiding you. I am showing you what life is. What is life? So uh, if you ask a, a, a normal person, and the reason why we would typically say, choose life is because we're thinking about physical life the the, the 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 fact that i am breathing so comes hashem and he says you should choose life and you know what you, you want to know what life is life is um life is to love god your god to listen to his voice and to cleave to him because god actually is your life because god is the source of your life and god is it's the divine energy that that's giving giving us life at every single moment now, since, um, since a person whose soul is enclosed in a body in this physical world doesn't always see or often, and maybe most often, does not see that life depends on uh, being associated with God, which God is synonymous with good. Because, you know, we, we think, as, a, as a physical person, it's very easy to simply think that life is dependent on me uh, being healthy, eating, sleeping, etc. So comes Hashem and tells us, I'm going to show you, um, I'm going to show you what true life really is. That it goes much deeper than just the physical existence. And that is to love Hashem, because God is our life. That the God is the source of our life. And so therefore, upon this idea, Rashi says, I'm going to bring an analogy. And the analogy is a father um, who, when a, fa a father, why is he using the analogy of a father and a son? Because a father uh, doesn't just tell his son, choose the best portion. But a father cares so much about his son that he takes his son to the portion and he stands him on the portion. Um, so in, in, in this way, the verse is demonstrating that Hashem, by saying, so choose life, what's he doing? He's not just saying, choose life. He's saying, choose life, and I'm going to show you by tell, putting you there. Just like a father puts his son on the good portion, Hashem says, come, I'm going to show you. To love God, your God, and to listen to him, and to cleave to him, because he is your life. So Hashem is being explicit. He's, he's expressing it. He's explaining it in a very clear fashion, so that it's as if we're standing on the good portion. So that is simply how the Rebbe explains why Rashi goes through such great elaboration on the words of Achar Tavachayim. But we still, it, that still doesn't fully satisfy 
why Rashi goes through such great elaboration. We still need to understand Rashi's elaboration. Why? For a few reasons. Firstly, why the analogy? Why do we need an analogy? You can just go straight to the verse from Tehillim. The, 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 the Pasuk in Tehillim, where David HaMelech, King David, says that you laid my hand upon the good lot. Right? And just from that, um, we, we, un- we understand the message that God is actually showing us what life is. And also because, you know, when it comes to a field, um, it doesn't take that much skill, as much skill. When it comes to anything physical, it doesn't take as much skill for someone to be able to identify between what is a high quality, what is low quality. But when it comes to the ability to appreciate the spiritual over the material, that requires actually a lot of skill, especially when the when what we see defies truth. How do how is it that what we see defies truth? We see that that the ways of the wicked are successful, that we find very often that people who are not good people are very successful, sometimes wildly successful. And And very often we find that righteous people suffer in this world. So one can easily be confused by that and, 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 and therefore not know what is actually the source of life. Um, so therefore, we need Hashem needs to clarify that even though that's what you see, in the end it's very different. As, as, as King Solomon Shlem Allah writes in the book of Mishlei, that and, and now, you know, immorality looks uh, like um, honey to the lips. But in the end, it's a misery. And, and, and uh, so, so therefore, just quoting this verse addresses the confusion a person has and why Hashem is showing us what is life much more than the analogy of fields. Um, and another interesting thing, which is, has not been explained, uh, is that after the father stands his son on the good portion, um, he, he then says, he says, choose a good portion. And then he takes him and stands on the good portion. And then he tells him, this is what you should choose. After he stands him on the portion, he starts to tell him, this, that, you have to, that you should choose this. Why, why is this necessary and how is this associated with what it says in the verse? And then the Rebbe also speaks about a, a brief nuance, which I'm going to be very, which I'm going to be very, uh, a nuance in Rashi, which I'm going to be brief about, that he, that normally Rashi says, Kemoisha Kosov, which means, as it is written, which is a form of saying, and a, a proof to this idea is from a verse. But here Rashi doesn't say, Kemoisha Kosov, as it's written, he says, Va'alzenemar, upon this it says, meaning that the verse is not coming to prove the, 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 the analogy, it's only coming to say that there's an analogy, and the verse is the same concept as the analogy. And what is that analogy? That standing, and the verse actually says something different than the analogy. The analogy, the father says to the son after he stands him on the good portion, this you shall choose. When it comes to the lesson, which is the verse that David HaMalach writes, over there, King David says that God places the person's hand on the best part. He doesn't say you should choose this. He actually puts his hand on the best part, which is different than just telling him to choose it. So let's so the so, so, so the Rebbe goes into a an elaborate explanation of Rashi, which is going to enlighten us on some very beautiful uh, I, um, ideas um, in, uh, in in Yiddishkeit. There's a question that Rashi's that Rashi's bothered by, and that's why he has to bring this whole explanation. And the question, actually, in context, is an obvious question. In context, I say because. 
just four verses earlier, four, four psukim earlier, in again chapter thirty, verse fifteen. We, it's the, 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 over there the Torah says, a very similar thing. It says, see, I have placed before you today life and good, death and bad. And I command you today to love God your God and to go in His ways and to observe His uh, commands, etc., etc. Sounds very similar. I mean, it's not exactly the same, but it's very, very similar. Over here we say, right, um, that the, the, the life and death I have placed before you, blessing and curse. But over here, the Torah, the Torah adds two words. And these are the two words Rashi's commenting on. You shall choose life. Earlier, um, the Torah doesn't say you shall choose life. There was no need, apparently, before for Hashem to say to us, to instruct us to choose life. But suddenly, Hashem says, you shall choose life. So Rashi says, what happened suddenly? That you have to tell us to choose life? Um, and what what is this whole message that you're telling us if we just heard this message a few psukim earlier? Moshe is actually speaking the whole book of Deuteronomy. So Moshe just said, which of course he's speaking the words of God, so he just said the same message just a few moments earlier and now he's repeating it. So the answer is in these two words. What is being added in this message is with the addition of these two words, you shall choose life. Which means that even after um, uh, uh, the father tells the child, in, in the analogy, the father tells the child to choose the best part. It's not enough. He comes and he stands him on the best part, and that's not enough. And then he tells him you should choose life. So this, these words, choosing life, have great significance, which is the whole purpose of repeating this entire message. And the more deeply we can understand what Hashem is saying when he tells the Jewish people, the more we're going to understand why the Torah seems to be repeating the message, but is actually um, adding in an element which is extremely significant. So, from the father's need, after giving his, um, telling his son to choose the best portion, to stand, to stand him on the best part, we understand that it's not easy for the son to determine what the best part is. So therefore, the father has to literally take him and stand him on the best part. That's one point that we can observe from the analogy Rashi uses. Another point we can observe is that he uses the analogy of a father and a son and not of two friends. It could have been a friend gifting his friend with a portion. And then he says, choose the best portion. And he stands on those portion. But, but Rashi specifically, and we know that Rashi is very precise. So Rashi specifically is using a father and a son. What does that tell us? It tells us a, a, a couple of things. That the recipient is assured because it's his father and he is the son, so he's assured that the giver, which is his father, is clear about what is best for him. It's his father. A father knows what a son needs. So he can trust that when my father tells me this is the best portion, this is in fact the best portion my father knows. Number two, he also can be assured that the one who's giving to him actually is seeking out his best interest. Um, because often, you know, one person may not want to give to another person so generously. But when it comes to a father giving a child, we know that a, a parent always wants the best for the child and is willing to give his best to his child. So, um, that in the analogy, these two elements are very important for, for us to know. That number one, the giver knows what's best, and that the giver is giving this with a full heart. 
And, and in fact, in the verse of King David, which is the third part of Rashi that follows the analogy, which is the lesson we learned from the analogy, he uses nachalosi, my portion. That means that God, if God says this is my portion, that means that God knows what is best. Um, I'm sorry, that's in the analogy. In the analogy, he uses the term nachalosi because he, the father is saying, this is what I, I know this because this is mine. I own this. I know what is best for you. So, so too, in the, in, the, um, in the lesson that we learned from the analogy, for a Jew to know good, um, for, for a Jew to know that good and life are attached to each other, that the source of life is from goodness, from being good, which is associated with God, we must know two things. Number one is, we have to contemplate two things. Number one is that the world is God's. He knows what's best. Just like the piece of portion of land was the Father's, the world is God's. God created the world. So God knows what will create the best life. Now, this is not a simple idea. This is something that every one of us can spend a lot of time, should spend a lot of time thinking about. That God actually created everything. So we're going to run off and create a life for ourselves, which is in contradiction to what God tells us is life. So when we think about it, we begin to realize that God actually knows what's, what the best life is. And as the Torah says, Bonim atem Hashem Alekechem, that you Jewish people are this our children. To Hashem your God, we are God's children, and God only wants the best for us. This also requires a lot of contemplation. Because very often we don't necessarily think or realize that when God commands us to do certain things, it's for our good. We can easily think, whoa, one second, I got better things to do with myself. So since our physical eyes in fact see otherwise. Hashem was not satisfied with putting us on the best portion, but Hashem wants to remind us and He wants to show us. And that's what Rashi is telling us. That Hashem is not just, is not just telling us that there is good and there is bad, there is life and there is death. But Hashem now is now coming and telling us, but you shall choose life, not just that you should choose life, but I am showing you what life is so that when, God, when Hashem says to choose life, He's not just telling us to choose life. The part of that instruction is putting us on the best portion and saying this is the best portion. But we can still ask a question. A field, um, one, as I said earlier, when it comes to physical things, we can see the virtues of one thing over another. When it comes to spiritual things, sometimes um, things in this world like exactly look exactly the opposite of their of, of what is truly valuable. For example, when we have worldly pleasure, we indulge in a pleasure. There's a bodily sensation; we feel it, we enjoy it. But um, and the and the idea, right? The idea that we're told that someone who lives a hedonistic life, an indulgent life in their own, absorbed in their own self, without without um, spending time on the purpose God put them here, right? So we're told that that ends with a bitter end. That idea that the end is bitter is a belief. It's not a reality, right? So, so, um, so that's not what we see in front of our eyes. So how does God's statement to Hashem's statement to us, choose life, ensure choosing spirit over matter? I mean, the challenge is enormous for us. So just a statement of two words, you shall choose life, is not enough for us to see. So therefore, that's what Rashi is adding, on this, the verse says, 
choose life. Um, and the words choosing life affect the very statement that God says those words, choose life. The words are more empowering than just words. It's as if God is taking our hand and placing our hand on the good portion. As if God's saying, I will show you in the physical world that the physical is not what life is. That, there's, there, are higher, that, there, are, that there are higher values that we live for. So the statement of Avachar Tabachayim is more than just God just directing us verbally, but it's actually God literally taking us and putting our hands on it so that it is ours. And this is the reason why we can understand why in the analogy of the Father and the Son, there, there's, there's a nuance, the difference between the analogy and the lesson. And, and, uh, and the Rebbe, and it's important to, to pay attention to this because the Rebbe brings out some significant difference, um, uh, differences between the two um, languages that are used. In the analogy, the father says, choose the best portion. Then the father puts the son on the best portion. And then he says, this you shall choose. Meaning the son still has to choose it. But when it comes to the, the verse um, where, where God is actually um, going back to the, uh, let me just go back to the translation, where, where, God, where Hashem says, um, Hashem is my allotted portion of my cup. You guide my destiny. That Hashem guides our destiny. And then it says, um, um, you laid my hand upon the good lot, saying, take this for yourself. Over here, the father, the, 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 in, in, in the analogy, the father says, choose this for yourself. But Hashem puts our hand on it and says, take this for yourself. He doesn't say, choose it. What is, the, what is that nuanced difference that Hashem says, take this for yourself? He doesn't use the language of choose it. Um, the reason why Hashem says to take it is because it's already been chosen. It's already been chosen. All we need to do is take it. All that's left is to take it. Um, in the analogy, the father is telling the son to choose it. But over here, Hashem says, I already chose it for you. That means I, I made this so, I'm bringing this so close to you that I've already chosen it for you. We'll understand how that works in a few minutes. And so therefore, all you need to do is actually is take it. You don't even need to choose it. It's been chosen. You just need to take it. Now we see this idea, which we'll understand more deeply in a few minutes, um, of, of the idea of taking that which has been chosen. We see this actually played out in halacha, in Jewish law as well. And again, this is one of the ways that the Rebbe shows how this explanation, um, it, 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 it's experienced through the different dimensions of Torah study. And that's how we know that an idea or an explanation is true when it plays out on every level of, of Torah study, and every dimension of Torah study. So in the verse of, of, of David HaMelech that Rashi quotes, he says, Ata which means you laid upon my lot. Goyroli uh, is like a goyro, like a lottery. And we know an interesting thing. Um, that um, choosing life, what, 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 choosing life, Rashi's trying to tell us, is similar to a lottery. And, and once we understand what a lottery is, we understand why the language is taking and not choosing. You see, when, let's say there are two partners who own a property together. And then they decide that they're going to, uh, they're, they're going to um, split ways. So they're going to divide the property and each one's going to take half. And they say, okay, who gets which half? So they said, we're going to make a lottery. 
So they make a lottery, they choose, and based on the lottery, each one gets a half. Gets, gets you know, a half. So in Jewish law, it, um, Jewish law states that the, the, the lottery does not actually give either one of them ownership of their half. It only determines which half they should take ownership of, but they still have to do an act of acquisition required according to Jewish law to actually acquire their portion of the land. Uh, in contrast, when God divided the land of Israel amongst the uh, tribes, how did they do that? They actually used Joshua, who led the Jewish people in the land of Israel, he used a, a lottery um, where they literally picked out uh, lots, um, where they would pick out the name of a tribe, they would pick out a, a portion of Israel, and those two would go together. Um, of course, I was divinely guided by, and I was led by the Urim Vatum, the, the, the high priest's breastplate. Over there, we are taught that the lottery itself created the acquisition for each tribe. Because by Hashem saying, and, and in the same way, by Hashem saying, choose life, Hashem it was doing an act of lottery the way God does an act of lottery, which creates an acquisition for the Jew. And therefore, it's as if God placed our hand on it. God said, I raised the truth, it's yours. All you have to do now is take it. And again, we're going to understand this more deeply. We're going to understand this more deeply. What that means, that the idea of, what is the idea of a lottery in comparison to choosing, right? Clearly, a lottery is different than choosing. There's no choice being made in the lottery, right? But there's something deeper that goes on in a lottery, especially when it's a divine lottery, um, that, that has this dimension of, it belonging to the person acquiring it based on the lottery, not even with a person doing an act of, uh, of acquisition. And at that point, only the person only needs to take that which is rightfully theirs. So let's understand this more deeply. And the, let's understand more deeply the difference between choosing for yourself versus taking for yourself. Because there are two ways that a Jew can go about uvacharta. There are in fact two ways that a person can go about choosing life. One way a person goes about choosing life is the classic way. And the classic way is thoughtfully. That a person is, a, a human being is an, is an intellectual being, in contrast to all other beings. A person thinks, and he sees, I have two options. Each one has an advantage. This is what choices are. Each one has an advantage. And I assess the values of each one, and I choose one. So a person can choose life. Why? Because they say, they're, they're, they, they understand the value of long-term investment. They understand that maybe in the short term this is going to be challenging for me, but long term this is of great value. Uh, a value-led life is far greater than an indulgent life, which always catches up with us. So therefore he makes that assessment and he calculates that choosing life is worth worthwhile. So he chooses life. That's one way that someone can go about choosing life. But another way is when a person chooses, but not in a thoughtful way. A person chooses in a super and uh, rational way, in a way which is above rationale. He doesn't make any calculation. He actually acts in the fashion of what we call a girl, a lottery, a lot, a girl hatoiv, a good lot, um, where he completely blocks out any other options. And he just knows from his inner being that the, a valuable life is a life that's associated with God, and therefore he chooses that. Like, almost, almost, it would seem irrationally, except that it's super rationally. Um, it's not below rationale, it's above rationale. But it's not rational, it's not like calculated thinking. It's a, it's, it's a bold, 
um, um, intuitive um, it, it, um, um, a position of strength where the person disregards options. And they say, there are no options. There's only one thing, and that's the good. And therefore, I'm going to choose the good, and that is the source of, the source of life. Now, one can well, how does a person do this? And this is, and this is and I'm elaborating now, uh, beyond what is explicitly stated in the Sikha, but this is um, strongly insinuated in the Sikha, in, in the talk, and actually we're going we're to hear it soon. Everyone has a, a neshama, a soul, and the soul has soul powers. One of those soul powers is intellect. Another, uh, uh, another group of soul powers are emotions. But there's something deeper than intellect emotions in the soul, and that is the more essential part of the soul. And the essential part of the soul has a knowing because the soul is divine. So it has a knowing of the divine and the value of the divine without, any, without the, the need of any understanding. It's deeper than any understanding. And therefore, it doesn't even recognize in opposition, another option. It just knows this. And when we live more in touch with that, that deeper part of us, we instinctively step forward in this, in, in this way. Now, if we understand this through uh, the way Hasidus explains it, as the Rebbe explains, we know again that that if someone observes the world, you can clearly see that there are evil people who prosper fabulously. Uh, they flourish. And it's a, it's a very big question, to, it's a very big theological question that any thinking person will have. How is it that wicked people flourish? And the answer, when we understand the divine makeup of the universe, we understand how this is. And Hasidus explains this in a number of places, and I'm going to do my best to explain it. There are two forms of, of, of flow um, of, of blessing that comes from God. One is a flow of blessing which is not a calculated flow of blessing. It's, and therefore, it's an abundant flow of blessing. And, and the, the benefit of this abundant flow, which is associated with, for those who are familiar with, with uh, what's known as soivev kalalmin, the more encompassing light of God, which is so expansive that it cannot, it's not confined to, and it's not filtered to be able to adapt to the particulars of the world, and that's why it's, it's a very expansive presence of God. Um, there's a shortcoming to this light, to, to this energy of God as well, and this and this flow of blessing, in that it actually never integrates with the recipient because it, it is too expansive. So therefore, it's not customized, if you will, and it's not um, tailored down to the specifics of who it's going to. That's the shortcoming of it. So it never integrates fully with the with the one who's receiving it. However, it's abundant. And then you have another flow of energy, which is known as memalakalamin. Memalakalamin actually means to fill the world, which means it actually, it, it's actually minimized and filtered so that, it can, that, the, that the, the energy can actually penetrate and, and be integrated with every different form of creation on its level so that each, each creation can receive this flow of divine energy and blessing, but it's very limited to what that particular being is capable of handling. So it's not abundant, but it is integrated. It's something that a person that, that a person holds on to. The flow of klipa, the flow of negativity, is always the flow of abundance, ironically. 
And that sounds very exciting. But it actually isn't so exciting because it's not the ultimate goal of God. Because ultimately, that doesn't penetrate with whoever's receiving it. And therefore, it's not eternal. It's not, it's not a lasting for the recipient. Whereas Kedusha is always um, interacts in a manner of pnimius, of entering within, of, of integrating with whatever it is that it's entering into. So um, the float of Kedusha of Holiness is a limited, it's not as abundant of a flow of blessing from God, but it's, it's measured, yet it's integrative. So a Jew, when a Jew chooses Hashem, when a Jew chooses Uvachar Tabachayin, he says, I'm going to choose good, and I'm going to choose God, and I'm going to choose Kedusha, holiness, he's sacrificing the abundance for limited Kedusha. He's sacrificing this, uh, uh, what, what seems to be like, you know, amazing, this great abundance for Kedusha. Why would a Jew make such a choice? Well, there can be two reasons, two two. Uh, Two paths that would lead a Jew to making such such a choice. One is the abundance to the wicked is temporary; it's not everlasting. Sadikim, even though now in this world they don't get abundance, but when it comes to the next world, eventually they get greater abundance. So the person makes a calculation, right? We're back to an intellectual calculation. Makes a calculation that would be wise to choose holiness over negativity, because holiness is a long-term game, and Klip is a short-term game. But then there's another way, a Jew, another reason why a Jew would, would choose this. And the other reason is because the limited flow is from Kedusha, even though the limited flow, there's a limited flow to Kedusha, um, but Kedusha holiness is the true will of God. And a person simply values from his deeper self, his divine soul, which is a piece of God, the will of God. And he's not looking for abundance. And he values far more to be aligned with the will of God and what God put him in this world for than abundant klipa. And this comes from a place which is given the calculation because that, that's not, uh, this is not a calculation. This is just a radical stance for holiness. And this is a form of the lottery of the soul. It's, it's something which is not a calculated thing. It's, it's, it's almost like an act of a lottery, uh, in, 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 a non-intellectual decision. And when a person is operating out of that level, they're not choosing. What are they doing? They're taking. They're just taking that which is theirs. And of course, we also then make the effort to take this notion that we live out of, which is much deeper than a calculated notion, and integrate it into a panemius. Integrate it into our inner self through our thought, speech, and action. Our thought, speech, and action becomes aligned with this. And that's a part of what we're actually doing, the, the Rebbe is doing in, 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 in giving us the sicha. Yet, the verse still says, You should choose life. So why are we introducing, why is Rajiv introducing the idea of um, of a lottery, when in fact the verse is explicit in saying you should choose life. So Rashi's whole point is that the words choosing life include a form of taking something in a manner of a lottery, which is not a calculated choice. That is also called choosing. How can that be? So the Rev explains. 
that there are two aspects to uh, choosing. There's a root of choosing God, and that is the essence of the soul choosing God, because the soul knows God and therefore chooses God. And this form of choice is what we call Bechira Chafshis, free choice. See, there's a difference between choosing and free choice. What's the difference? Free choice is a choice that is free of anything that is compelling the choice. That means when I choose something over something else, because there's an advantage to this over that, it's a compelled choice. There are features that this has that's compelling me to choose it over that. So it's not really free choice because there are things that are influencing my choice. And there are a couple of things that happen when I choose something because of an advantage that one has over the other. When I choose something because of an advantage, that means it's a calculated choice. The, 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 the strength of my choice will only be as strong as the calculation that I'm making as to why this has greater value. Right? So every calculation, this feature that I want to choose has a certain, a certain level of value to it, but only up to a certain point. And that will be the extent of my, the strength of my choice. Another thing is that the choice is being compelled by something outside of me. So therefore, it weakens the strength of choice that I am making. When a person makes, bechira, uh, makes a choice, which is Bechira Chavsh, is free choice. That means it's not compelled by anything. It's just that I choose this. A purely, and someone asks you why, there's no why. It's because this is what I want. That is the most powerful choice. And that is also choice. And that is, that's what we're talking about when we talk about a, the form of a lot. We have a soul just having an intuitive knowing. It's not an intellectual knowing. It's an intuitive knowing. And therefore, just being aligned with that. Then there's a choice in the intellect. That there are advantages to life. Uh, there are advantages to death. That's not advantages that we often want to choose, but there are, there are advantages. And, and, and based on those different advantages, the person says, I'm going to choose life. So the verse says, And in our actual day-to-day avoida, in our actual day-to-day service of God, choosing thought, thoughtfully um, requires choosing. When we, when we choose thoughtfully in a calculated fashion, that requires a choice. We make a calculation, then we have to choose. That's not just taking. However, there is a choice, which is the choice which comes from the root of the um, the root of choosing. That means the deepest form of choosing, which is the essence of the essence of our souls, uh, of our being, knowing, and therefore it's a natural uh, it's a natural choice. And on that level, we don't have to choose; we just have to take, because there are no options. Us, we only see one thing. So Rashi is actually revealing the depth behind the Jew's choice. And so in other words, the Rebbe adds this, that even when a Jew makes an intellectual choice because of the features or the benefits of one over the other, you should know that what's really compelling him to choose life is the fact that the essence of his soul knows that all there is to choose is life. So ultimately it's coming from his, the, the, the very deepest level of choosing, which is that Bechir is that choosing, which is free from any influence. So, um, the rabbi concludes this by, by saying that um, this is, um, we know that Pasha's Nitzavim is always read right before Rosh Hashanah. 
And this verse that we're discussing is at the very second to last verse of the uh, Torah portion. And everything goes follows the conclusion of something. That's sort of the conclusion of something wraps things up. And so therefore, we know that this whole idea is related to Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, as Hasidic philosophy teaches us, if you want to understand the deeper, one of the deeper aspects of Rosh Hashanah, on Rosh Hashanah we inspire God to re-choose us. What happens every year in Rosh Hashanah is that God um, sort of re-evaluates his relationship with creation and the Jewish people. And what we, what we um, um, attempt to do and we successfully do, and what, what we may successfully do this year as well in a great way, is to inspire God to re-choose us as his people. As as we say, um, um, we, 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 there's a pasa, there's a chapter of Tehillim that we say seven times before we blow the shofar. Um, we say Yifchalanu esnachlasenu es that he chose our heritage for us, the pride of Yaakov, whom he loved. Um, because that's what's happening. We, we the part of the part of the idea of blowing the shofar is the idea of inspiring, of, of the cry of the Jewish soul, crying out to God, God, we want to be your children. And then God choosing us again to be his, his Am Segula, his chosen people. So in God's choice, also, there are two levels of choice. There is the root of the choice, where there's no possibility to choose any other people because there's an inherent bond between the Jewish people and God, and the essence of God is, 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 is connected with the essence of the Jewish people. But then there's also... A, a, a more external level of choice. And that is the way God's choice plays out in this world. As is expressed in the Torah, um, you will be for me a people from amongst all the other nations. Where there are other nations, so to speak, there are choices. And God still chooses us. And by us revealing the essential level of choice through our choosing not God, and, and, and what God instructs us to do, not only intellectually and in a calculated manner, but from our essence, what do you think happens? By us choosing Hashem that way, Hashem, we inspire by Hashem that Hashem chooses us in that way and shower us with a year of revealed good because we are in expression. We are inherently bound with Almighty God and God has no choice but to choose that which is his, and that is us, his, his beloved people.